Hello everyone, and welcome to the April 27th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Kyle Eubelhart, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. Federal Judge Anita Brody issued a 132-page ruling in Philadelphia that approved a settlement that resolved concussion lawsuits between the NFL and thousands of formal players. Judge Brody ruled that the settlement was fair, reasonable, and adequate. The resolution comes about three and a half years after the first of more than 200 suits were filed by more than 5,000 retired players. All the suits were consolidated into the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. However, many of the players still had companion workers' compensation claims pending in California and elsewhere. The agreement, which will span the next 65 years, is expected to cost the NFL $900 million or more. That will include payment of monetary awards to retirees diagnosed with certain neurological conditions, funding for a program to monitor, diagnose, and counsel ex-players, and payment of fees to retired players' attorneys. Under the settlement, the NFL makes no admission of guilt. Barring any appeal, attorneys say that the process will receive benefits to be up running within 120 days. To qualify for compensation, former players do not have to show the conditions are related to the NFL football. The settlement will apply to about 25,000 former NFL players, provided they were retired by July 7, 2014, the date the judge gave preliminary approval for the tentative agreement. Lawyers for the players and their families and NFL attorneys praised the deal. But some ex-players and their attorneys objected to the settlement in court filings. Thus, a legal appeal of the final approval seems likely, and any appeal would significantly delay the process. During the settlement process, the deal was adjusted twice at the urging of the judge. That included removal of $675 million cap on what the NFL will pay to players with diagnosed conditions, and the amount is now open-ended. Depending on the age, diagnosis, and years played, there are awards of up to $5 million for a diagnosis of ALS, up to $4 million for a diagnosis after death with brain disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and up to $3.5 million for Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. The settlement also included payments of up to $3 million for neurocognitive impairment such as moderate dementia and up to $1.5 million for conditions such as early dementia. The settlement also includes $75 million or more if needed for a program of baseline examinations of players for potential brain impairment, counseling, and treatment. Beyond the amount of the settlement, the NFL will pay fees to the ex-player's attorneys. The judge will have final say in the amounts of the payments, but the parties have agreed not to contest fees up to $112.5 million. The steering committee set up to handle the retirees' suits includes lawyers from 15 firms. Next, Michael Drobot, the operator of Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, has now implicated his colleagues in the RICO case filed against him by the State Compensation Insurance Fund. Drobot, pled guilty just over a year ago to criminal charges for paying more than $20 million in kickbacks and bribing California State Senator Ron Calderon to delay new workers' compensation law that would limit reimbursement for final spinal hardware used in surgeries. He is scheduled to be sentenced in October. 
the FBI has said the scam is believed to be the largest in California history. One of the next chapters in this story involves the State Compensation Insurance Fund 103-page RICO case filed against Drobot and others this February. Skiff alleges that the defendants concealed a system of illegal kickbacks, fee splitting, corporate practice of medicine, and other misconduct. Michael Drobot now adds yet another interesting chapter in the legal struggle. A few weeks ago, he filed a 15-page third-party complaint in RICO case for equitable indemnity and declaratory relief against 22 doctors, health executives, chiropractors, and a lawyer. His equitable indemnity claim says in theory that Drobot should not have to pay the state fund anything, but if it ends up that it does, then he wants others to share the blame and pay the damages with him. Thus, Drobot is alleging that these 22 defendants are somehow involved in what the state funds alleges he did, so he has in effect implicated these entities and individuals. One of Drobot's defendants is California physician Faustino Bernadette, who allegedly purchased the shares of Pacific Hospital parent company and was chairman of the board for several years. Drobot alleges that Bernadette, as chairman and one of the Pacific Hospital owners, was thus knowledgeable of and authorized, ratified, and approved the acts and omissions of the hospital. He implicates many other physicians, some of which are well-known in the workers' compensation community, such as Philip A. Sobel, MD, and who practices Los An in Los Angeles at Sobel Orthopedic Medical Group. Attorney Sean O'Keefe is also named in the Drobot complaint. He was an individual who allegedly referred patients to Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. He is an attorney in San Diego and a certified specialist in workers' compensation. Without being specific, Drobot alleges that each of these individuals and entities he sued in some manner engaged in acts and omissions alleged in the state fund complaint to be unlawful. And as a good segue, now for our fraud report. An indictment charged a Valencia doctor and former workers' compensation toxicology expert with operating a $6.5 million scheme to defraud the Medicare program by billing for medical services that were not actually provided. 60-year-old Gary Ordog, MD, was indicted by a federal grand jury for nine counts of healthcare fraud. Ordogs was a doctor featured in a 2005 Forbes article where he was referred to as the Dr. Mold. Ordog allegedly assisted beneficiaries with various toxicological symptoms, including those related to mold and chemical exposures. Often, several years later, he would allege to submit false claims were purported additional visits with the same beneficiary when the visits never actually occurred. In certain instances, the beneficiaries were deceased and have claimed the date of service. This is not the first brush with regulators. Ordog's medical license was suspended for 90 days in 2006, and he was placed on seven years of probation following accusations of gross negligence and dishonesty. Ordog established a medical legal practice in 1980, evaluating civil, criminal, and workers' compensation cases for attorneys and for insurance companies. The 2006 accusation reviewed the case of four patients referred in 1999 by a Long Beach attorney named Eric Horschner for evaluations of workers' compensation claims. Each of the patients claimed a compensable on-the-job injury due to exposure of toxic substances. 
After a careful review of his examination and findings, the administrative law judge concluded that his diagnosis in those cases were not medically indicated and represented extreme departures from the standard of practice and gross negligence. The departures were deemed extreme departures by the ALJ due to the lack of colorable and documented indications for their rendering. The 2006 accusation also reviewed a letter he authorized, or rather authored, which was introduced into evidence in a jury trial over which Superior Court Judge Barbara Sheffer presided. Judge Sheffer was the individual who referred the case to medical report as a result of her concerns of possible insurance fraud. The administrative law judge found that he committed a dishonest or corrupt act in connection with the letter. Ordaga was placed on probation by the medical board in 2006. One of the terms of his probation prohibited him from engaging in medical, legal, or forensic practice of medicine during the period of probation. Unfortunately, in 2011, the board alleged he violated this provision by evaluating four workers' compensation cases between 2006 and 2008 while on probation. Ordog stipulated to the extension of his probation for an additional term of 18 months to resolve this transgression. The medical board probation has recently been completed, but now he faces federal charges of nine counts of healthcare fraud. Bay Area psychologist Helena Wheel was sentenced to four months in prison in order to pay nearly half a million dollars restitution of billings she submitted to the Federal Office of Workers' Compensation Programs. 64-year-old Wheel of Kensington, California, pleaded guilty to one count of 18 U.S.C. Section 1519, which prohibits alteration or falsification of records. She was a California licensed psychologist and maintained a practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. She treated numerous U.S. Postal Service and other U.S. government employee patients, for which she was compensated through the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs, or OWCP, which administrators Federal Employee Compensation Act programs. Wheel admitted she submitted bills for in-prison services, supposedly provided to patients while she either was away from California or was in training. In all, Wheel admitted that she submitted over 1,100 such billings. The four-month prison sentence was handed down along with a three-year period of supervised release. The first six months of Wheel's supervised release will be served in home detention. The prosecution is the result of an investigation by the United States Postal Service Office of an Inspector General. The California Board of Psychological Online Records reflect that she continues to hold a license in psychology with no public record actions pending against her. Jose Fernandez, a former South Bay school superintendent, fired last year following a furor over his 750,000-plus annual pay package, is suing Sentinella Valley Union High School District. He charges the district with wrongful termination, age discrimination, and other alleged violations, including forcing him to support a false workers' compensation claims allegedly filed by a school board member. Sentinella educates 6,600 high school students enrolled on three campuses and in two small alternative programs. But Fernandez's earnings dwarf those of the superintendents of far larger school districts. 
New York City Schools Chancellor Carmen Farina oversees the nation's largest district with more than 1 million students and makes little over $412,000 a year. Los Angeles Unified School District Superintendent Ramon Cortinez makes $300 annually running the nation's second largest school system of $640,000 students. Among other issues, the lawsuit alleges that Fernandez was fired in retaliation for refusing to participate in what he believed was illegal activities by two board members. He alleges that the board member, Gloria Ramos, requested that Fernandez support what he believed were fraudulent workers' compensation claims. He also opposed what he believed was improper use of district resources for Ramos' political activities. Fernandez is asking for reinstatement back pay, and damages for emotional distress, among other things. Sentinella's interim superintendent said the district officials would not comment because they had not yet seen the lawsuit. And in regulatory news, the Department of Industrial Relations has announced that the Governor Brown has appointed Dusty Overpeck as Administrative Director of the Division of Workers' Compensation. Christine Baker, Director of the Department of Industrial Relations, congratulated her on the well-deserved appointment. Overpeck has been acting administrative director since 2012, overseeing the DWC's diverse programs and managing a staff of more than 1,000 and a budget of $197 million. She has overseen the division's implementation of Senate Bill 863, the landmark workers' compensation reform that took effect at the beginning of 2013. Prior to taking the reins administrative director, Overpeck was DWC Chief Counsel since 2005 and served as Industrial Relations Counsel from 2000 to 2005. She was an attorney and partner McCollum, Borland, Bacon, and Overpeck from 1986 to 2000 and an associate of La Follette, Johnson, Schroeder, and DeHaas from 1984 to 1986. Overpeck earned a Juris Doctor degree from the University of California, Hastings, College of Law. The Department of Industrial Relations reports that the number of Californians who died on the job increased slightly in 2013. The uptick corresponds to California's higher employment rates and its broad-based economic recovery. DIR Director Christine Baker said that all worker deaths should be preventable, and this data is a clear reminder that we still have some work to do in the area of prevention. She said that even one workplace death is too many. There were 396 fatal injuries on the job in California in 2013, compared to 375 the prior year, a slight increase. Data comes from the Census of Fatal Occupational Injuries, which is conducted annually in conjunction with the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. The increases occurred across most industrial sectors. The largest increases were in administrative and waste services, which included landscaping, manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing. There were smaller increases in government, construction, retail trade, and agriculture and forestry. There was a 70% increase in fatalities from harmful substances, from 23 to 39 cases, while falls increased 7% from 60 to 64 cases. The number of fatalities from violence or assault stayed constant at 80 deaths each year. The largest percentage increase was in the 35 to 45 age range, 
and the largest percentage of decrease was in workers between 20 to 24 years old. There was also a significant increase in Hispanic or Latino worker-related fatalities, which rose from 37% to 49% of the statewide total. The year-to-year -year increase in the rate of workplace fatalities for Latinos is an area of particular concern to the department. DIR over the past five years has increased workplace safety outreach and education to Spanish-speaking workers and will increase that effort. The amended medical treatment utilization schedule regulations are now final. Doctors in California's workers' compensation system are required to provide evidence-based medical treatment. That means they must choose treatments scientifically proven to cure or relieve work-related injuries and illnesses. When evidence-based medicine became the standard in California workers' compensation, it started with the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine guideline. The California use of ACOM guidelines evolved by the addition of missing components to what is now known as the Medical Treatment Utilization Schedule, or MTUS. The MTUS now contains a set of guidelines that provide a detail on which treatments are effective for certain injuries, as well as how often the treatment should be given, the extent of the treatment, and for how long, among other things. The amended MTUS regulations went into effect April 20, 2015. The new MTUS regulations include clarification of the role of the MTUS as the primary source of guidance for treating physicians and physician reviewers. Also, a description of the two limited situations that may warrant treatment based on recommendations found outside of the MTUS, such as if the medical condition or injury is not addressed by the MTUS, or if the MTUS presumption of correctness is successfully rebutted. The amended regulations provide guidance on how to conduct a search for medical evidence in order for treating physicians and reviewing physicians to consistently and efficiently navigate the vast array of medical literature. The final regulations are posted on the DWC website. And in medical news, a new medical study found that patients admitted to the hospital on weekends are more likely to get preventable illness or injury during their stay than people admitted during the week. Weekend admissions were linked with more than 20% increased likelihood of hospital-acquired conditions when compared to weekday admissions. Researchers analyzed data from more than 350 million admissions and found that 16.7 million of these stays, or about 5%, resulted in at least one unavoidable hospital-acquired condition. Falls were the most common complication, accounting for 85% of all hospital-acquired conditions. Pressure sores and catheter-associated urinary tract infections were also common. Hospital-acquired conditions occurred in 5.7% of weekend admissions, compared to 3.7% in people admitted on weekdays. However, Researchers admit that it is not clear whether more aggressive prevention efforts are needed on weekends, or whether patients admitted on weekends should be viewed as high risk for hospital-acquired complications, thus warranting extra vigilance throughout the course of their hospital stay. Still, the study highlights the need for better prevention, including efforts to avoid most common complications such as falls and infections as well as initiatives as administrative level that can improve staffing or organizational factors contributing to complications. 
And in financial news, the WCIRB has completed its report on workers' compensation insurer loss and premium experience through the end of 2014, based on data reported by insurance who wrote almost 100% of the statewide market. The major findings state that California written premium for, Californ or for calendar year 2014 is approximately $16.5 billion, approximately 11% above the written premium reported for 2013, and 88% above the written premium reported for 2009. The projected industry average charged rate $100 of payroll for 2014 is $2.93. This is approximately 2% above the average rate charged for 2013 and 40% above the average rate charged for 2009. The WCIRB projects total ultimate losses and allocated loss adjustment expense for accident year 2014 to be $12.6 billion. This is approximately 4% above the projection for accident year 2013 and 27% above the projection for accident year 2009, but remains below the highs experienced prior to the 2002 through 2004 reforms. The WCIRB projects a preliminary ultimate accident year combined loss and expense ratio of 103% for 2014. This projection is primarily a result of increased premium levels and relatively low claim severity growth in 2014. The preliminary calendar year combined loss and expense ratio for 2014 reported by its insurers is 105%, which is somewhat below the combined ratios for the last several years, but 2014 is the seventh consecutive year with a combined ratio over 100%. Indemnity claim frequency for accident year 2014 is projected to be 1.2% above the frequency for 2013 and approximately 12% above the frequency for 2009. The frequency increases experienced over the last few years are largely attributed to the increases in cumulative injury claims, late reported indemnity claims, claims involving injuries to multiple body parts, and claims originating in the Los Angeles area. The average severity of a 2014 indemnity claim is projected to be approximately 84,000 which is generally consistent with the projected severities for the last several accident years. The WCIRB currently projects the total statewide ultimate loss in all injuries that occurred on or before December to the end of 2014 to be approximately $6.8 million more than the amounts reported by insurers. These estimates are somewhat below those presented in recent prior summaries as a result of favorable loss development experienced in recent quarters. That's all of our news and events for this week. Please check out our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Kyle Eubelhart an attorney with Floyd, Scarn & Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Be sure to drop by again next week for more news.